Welcome to Mosaic Podcast. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Mosaic Church, Leeds, based in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information on Mosaic Church, please visit mosaic-church.org.uk. Thank you for listening. It was great to have the chance to speak to you today. Uh, like Dave said, uh, my name's Hugh. I help to lead uh, the Fourth Love Mission Group. Uh, which is a mission group that exists to serve the underprivileged in uh, Bramley. It's the area of Leeds that Gloria and I moved to uh, almost two years ago now. So, yeah, it's a really exciting thing to be a part of. Um, great. Like I say, it's wonderful to, to speak to you today. If you've got a Bible, it'd be great to go to Matthew uh, chapter 26. Uh, Dave's already introduced the series. We're uh, looking at the, the Lord's Supper uh, in three messages. So this is the second uh, of the three. And uh, just while you're finding that place uh, in your Bibles, let me just say, it's amazing to think, um, I don't know if you guys can believe this, that it's now been uh, 19 years since uh, DreamWorks released like their epic film, The Prince of Egypt. Like, it just makes me feel so old uh, when I think about that. Uh, but the, the tagline for the film was, uh, the greatest story ever told. And we're going to look in a few minutes as to whether we can actually say that um, as Christians. Um, But suffice it to say, the Exodus story is uh, a familiar story um, at the very least. We all know it well. God's people are slaves uh, in Egypt. Uh, God calls Moses, the prophet, to confront the Pharaoh, uh, to command him to to let his people go. Uh, Pharaoh refuses, and, and God responds with, Uh, a series of plagues, a series of uh, acts of judgment to uh, prompt Pharaoh to let his people go. And eventually, after Pharaoh continues to uh, refuse to obey, God promises uh, the most severe plague, the the, the worst threat uh, of judgment that that really he could perform. And that would be that he would move through the land uh, of Egypt and kill the firstborn son and the firstborn animal of every home that doesn't have the blood of a lamb painted uh, on its doorposts. And and as you could all uh, imagine reading the story uh, for the the first time, uh, God's people obey, God's enemies disobey, and and God does exactly what uh, he promises to do. And so in Exodus 12.30 we read this, there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. And, and this is what sparked um, the, the exodus or the deliverance or, or the freeing of, of about two million people. Two million people from Egypt uh, through the Red Sea and then eventually, after many years, uh, into the, the Promised Land. And for the people that were redeemed, for the people that were freed from Egypt, this was for them the greatest story that they could ever tell. It really was the most amazing act of deliverance that they could ever have hoped to have seen in their lives. In fact, so amazing was it to them that they started the tradition of remembering it every single year. And actually, this past Friday, the Jews celebrated Passover where they, they would take a lamb, just like they took on the first Passover. They would sacrifice it. They would eat it quickly. And they would dip unleavened bread in, in something called cherisith, which was um, like a really dark, brown, thick-textured paste to remind them of the mud that they would use to build bricks uh, in Egypt. 
and, and they would drink four glasses of uh, diluted wine to remember, to remember the four promises that God had made uh, after he delivered them um, from Egypt. The greatest story ever told. Amazingly, in our passage today, Jesus tells his disciples that to belong to him is to be caught up in an even greater story. Because he'd soon be accomplishing an even greater exodus, an even greater deliverance from even greater enemies than human oppression and men like Pharaoh, but from the greatest enemies of all, from sin and death and hell. Uh, like, like we've already heard today, Dave said that we're in a really short series on the Lord's Supper, looking at the final Passover meal that Jesus shared with his disciples. And so as we come to Matthew 26, you and I have got this amazing chance to be something of like a fly on the wall as we observe Jesus sharing this historic meal um, with the disciples. And as Jesus does that, he does one of the most unexpected things that his disciples could ever have imagined him doing. He presses pause on centuries of tradition and introduces another meal. You, You see, whereas Passover pointed God's people back to his deliverance. Jesus introduces another meal to point his disciples forward to this greater deliverance that he's promising to his disciples. And so what we see today is that Christ's death accomplishes a new covenant, a new start, and a new future for God's people. A new covenant, a new start, and a new future for us, God's people. So again, if you've got your Bibles, just look at Matthew 26, verses 26 to 28. This is a new covenant. It says this. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. And then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant. And the other gospel writers add in their uh, new covenant in my blood, that through this broken body and through his shed blood, uh, Jesus has secured for his people a new covenant. Now, this is only going to be helpful for us if we actually know what a covenant is. And uh, fortunately, for for people like myself, uh, it's a really straightforward idea. Um, So a a covenant is is really simply uh, an agreement between two people or two parties that's based on terms and conditions. Okay, so I think the the most helpful way to to view this is actually what Hannah said earlier, uh, the illustration of marriage. uh, That on the 14th of July, uh, about four years ago now, Gloria and I, we we stood stood in front of one another uh, at the front of a church And we entered into covenant relationship with one another. We promised each other that in sickness or in health, uh, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, we would be faithful to one another within the context uh, of marriage. We entered into covenant with one another on, on that day. 
And if we're going to understand anything about Passover, what we've really got to get this morning is that it was more than just remembering deliverance from Egypt, but actually deliverance into covenant relationship with God. It's it's as though Passover was sort of like uh, a coin with two sides. That on one side we celebrate God's victory and our exodus, but then on the other it's actually being, you know, delivered into this covenant relationship uh, with God. It, It reminded them that they were redeemed into a covenant relationship that was based on the Mosaic law. But in this, in this moment, Jesus is introducing a new feast because he's introducing a new exodus into a new covenant that's not founded on law on top of law, but is founded on grace upon grace upon grace. The law came through Moses But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And this is how it comes through Jesus Christ. Through the broken body and through the shed blood of the cross. And and for the 12 hearing this at the time, this was like massively good news. This wasn't familiar like it is to us. This was good news because under the covenant they were under, they could only know God from a distance it's sort of like me trying to know someone through that window through you know through that over there you know I can see them but I can't really get to them it's sort of like I'm looking through a window that's kind of like dimmed because of the distance the mosaic law revealed and exposed all of the reasons that God's people couldn't draw near to God It revealed their imperfection before a perfect God. It revealed their sinfulness before a holy God. And so the old covenant sort of shoved this void between God and his people. This chasm that they just couldn't get over because of everything that was wrong in them. And if you know just a little bit of your Bibles, like you all know the scene in Exodus 19 when God delivers the Ten Commandments and And we're told that he sort of consumes Mount Sinai in in flaming fire and the whole mountain's going up in smoke. This visible display of his holiness. And and God's people have got no other choice but, but to withdraw. And in fact, God says that if anyone touches this mountain, if any man or beast touches this mountain that I've showed up on, they're to be stoned to death. It sounds weird to us, but if I could try and illustrate it like this. Um, let's say there's a couple, maybe it's you here today, who, who've saved up enough money um, to kit out your whole downstairs. Okay, So the, da- the, the day's come, um, the money's in the account, and the guys are going to come. They're going to replace all the furniture. They're going to put new carpets down, new paint on the walls. It's a really big deal. So you say to your two teenage boys, okay, you guys need to just kind of entertain yourselves a bit. Um, you know, while these guys do what they need to do, come back when the work is done. So they go out and they, they play football in like the muddiest field that they could possibly find. They come back when the work's done, they blast open the door, and mum and dad see them and they say, what? You can't come in here like that. You need to be cleansed outside 
before you could come inside. And so it was for God's people. They couldn't come inside the presence of God as they were. But Jesus says, there's a new covenant that's going to be inaugurated, actually just tomorrow. And Jesus knows that as it's inaugurated, as he dies on the cross, as his body is broken, as his blood is poured out, the curtain of the temple is going to be torn from top to bottom and would be separated as far as the east is from the west so as for God to announce to the entire world, access is granted into my presence. Bring my sons from afar, bring my daughters who are called by my name and stand in the very center of my presence now that every reason for you to depart has been dealt with. And it just hit me, I was actually um, (laughs) preaching this uh, a few weeks ago in in North Wales and as I was driving away from the church, the whole message kind of clicked and I was like, oh, I wish that had happened on the way to the church so (laughs) so that it made some sense. Think about this. As the old covenant is inaugurated, God's people depart at Sinai. Jesus introduces the new covenant here. And John is able to rest his his head against Jesus' shoulder. As though in parabolic form for Jesus to be saying, this is the kind of intimacy this new covenant is going to create. So here's here's my question um, for you today. Do you see yourself in this way? And what I mean is, do you view yourself as you come to church, as you hear God's word preached, as you listen to people pray, do you know yourself to be someone that can actually draw near to God? Maybe another way to put it is, is this. Do you believe that God views you from the top of Sinai Or from the top of Calvary? Are you under law? Or are you under grace? If you're in Christ. The grace that is the ground of the new covenant. Is what hems you in. And seals you up as you enter God's presence. And it was this that actually uh, inspired John Newton in 1774. To write that Christ has hushed the law's loud thunder. He has quenched Mount Sinai's flame. And now he presents our souls to God. That's amazing, isn't it? Christ's broken body and shed blood secures a new covenant. Second, a new start. Look at verses 28. It says this, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. For the forgiveness of sins. Again, this is only going to work for us today if we actually understand what sin is. And I realize that that might sound uh, quite confusing. Many of us have been raised um, in Christian homes and we we feel like the lingo is is second nature to us. But when when, when Gloria and I moved to to Leeds, um, we went to... We thought we kind of should go to the local churches in our area, see, see what was going on. And um, on the first week that we did that, um, we, we went to a church where 
uh, a confession was read uh, as part of the, the worship service. And um, about a minute into the confession, Gloria and I started to think the same thing. And it was one of those wonderful moments for me that I was like, oh yeah, I did marry the right one. Brilliant. Like, we think alike. And um, it didn't take me four years to get there. But, um, and and we, started to, we started to realize that in this confession, there was no mention of, of, of God. And, and what I mean by that is that sin was described as merely a horizontal problem. So it was racism. It, it, it was sexism, it was, it was exploitation of the poor, it was greed, it, it was unjust war. And, and all of those things are real sins. But here's the point, sin is ultimately a vertical issue. Sin is my fist in the air to God. It, it's my unclean lips in his ear. It's my attempt to storm the throne room, to drag him off his throne and to put me in his place. It's my stubborn refusal to acknowledge that actually he knows best. And worst of all, it's for me to reject his love and relationship. It's to break his law as a rebel and it's to break his heart as a prodigal son. If we don't get it's a vertical issue, it's never going to click for us. And so if sin is, is a real thing for all of us, then someone has to be punished. It's either us or it's someone else. And, and under the old covenant, that someone else was really something else. It, it, it was an animal on, on the Day of Atonement. But here's, here's the problem. Um, an animal isn't a good substitute for a person. Growing up, I was really into football um, until I reached age 11, uh, and then I started to play music, and that's kind of like a corner in my life where everything was just about playing music and learning music. And, and yet, if you and I were to go to a football game today, and I were to see a player being taken off, and in his place uh, come running onto the field a lamb or a goat or a bull, like I would think football's changed in these last... 15 years or, or so, like what is going on? A human has to take responsibility for a human problem. And so every lamb sacrificed under the old covenant was pointing to the lamb of God, the human lamb that John the Baptist would say takes away the sin of the world. And so what is this forgiveness that the Lamb of God secures for us at the cross? And I ask the question because, you know, typically I think we kind of have a very human understanding of forgiveness. And what I mean by that is that we view it um, as God just letting the past be the past and sweeping the sin of the universe under, under the rug. Praise God that it's bigger than that. Forgiveness means that because Christ died for our sin, his righteousness has been given to me. His righteousness has been given to you if you're in him. For our sake, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become 
the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21. You see, it's not only about losing sin, it's about gaining righteousness. It's, it's not only about losing shame, it's about gaining approval. It's not only about doing away with slavery, it's about gaining adoption as sons. We get what we don't deserve. I don't know if you've, you've heard this one before. Um, it's, it's a story about a guy who's just a bit peckish in, in the office, and so he nips down to um, one of those like massive Tesco's and uh, just picks up a Snickers bar because he's got great taste. And um, he's just waiting in the self-serve aisle or one of the one of the queues. And um, he looks to his right and he sees like plowing towards him a, a woman that's pushing a, lo- a trolley, but it looks more like a lorry because she's getting out a new house. She's doing it with style. She's got flat flat screen TVs in there. She's got absolutely everything you could think of. And she just sort of like zips in just just behind him. And it comes to his go and he just you know beeps, scans his Snickers bar in. And all of a sudden. Like, the whole mood in Tesco just stops. The music stops. The manager shows up with the blazer. And he sticks his hand out to this guy. And he says, congratulations, sir. You're our millionth customer. Everything that you bring to the checkout today is free. And, and, and he thinks quick. And he, and he turns around. And he, Darling, we won. We won. And, and everything that she brought to the checkout was free. And she, she's in the car park. It's not a true story, I'm sure. And she's in the car park. And she's, she's putting everything in. And she... I got what I don't deserve. And, and then she goes home and she, she tells her husband and he goes, what? Who, who is this guy? Like, what? And she says, I don't know. But we know his name. We know his name. We get what we don't deserve through this new covenant blessing. Grace upon grace upon grace. Forgiveness means that because Christ died for our sin, we are permanently kept in the covenant of grace. If you know your Bible as well, you know that many of those who passed through the Red Sea never made it into the promised land. God says they always go astray in their heart. They've not known my ways. And so I swore in my wrath that they should not enter my rest. But God promises this in the new covenant. He says this in Jeremiah 31. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I'll write them on their hearts. I will be their God. They shall be my people. And no longer shall one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sins no more. And this is the way that Charles Haddon Spurgeon, um, who I would argue to the death, is the greatest preacher ever after the apostles and Jesus, obviously. And um, this is him trying to stretch his mind, imagining a conversation between God the Father and God the Son about this new covenant before the world began. He says, my Father, on my part, I covenant that in the fullness of time I will become man. I will live in their wretched world and for my people I will keep the law perfectly. I will work out a spotless righteousness for them which shall be acceptable to the demands of your just and holy law. And in due time I will bear the sins of all my people. You shall exact all their debts on me 
and by my stripes they shall be healed. My Father, I covenant and promise that I will be obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. I will suffer all that my people ought to have suffered. I will endure the curse of your law, and all the vials of your wrath shall be emptied and spent on my head. I will then rise again and ascend into heaven. I will intercede for them at your right hand. I will make myself responsible for every one of them, that not one of those whom you have given me shall ever be lost. I will bring all my sheep of whom my blood, you have constituted me the shepherd. I will bring every one safe to you at last. The point is, in the new covenant, no one drops out. In the new covenant, once saved, always saved. And we know that because of the last accomplishment that Jesus refers to here. Jesus promises third, through his death, a new hope. He says this in verse 29, I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Now, based on what we know uh, about this night from the other three Gospels, if we sort of piece them all together, um, we know that at this point, Judas has left. Judas is no longer in the room. He's gone to betray Jesus himself. And, And so speaking to his true disciples, Jesus promises his disciples a day when he would serve new wine to them in the new heavens and the new earth as like the final celebratory meal. He promises ultimate and final and lasting deliverance. And and as we prepare this morning to, to take communion, this is so important for us to get. There really is a sense in which, for us all today, communion is is somber. It's it's solemn because as we look at the bread and as we have the wine in our hands, what we're confronted with is, is the reality that our sin was so serious that only the most costly sacrifice would do. That, that it is such a big deal that only the Son of God could actually rectify the problem. That, that it's so dark, someone had to die to make things right. And yet if we stay there as we take communion, we miss it. Because communion, says Jesus in this passage, is ultimately a celebratory meal. And, and, and through the glimpse of the Lord's Supper, we're we're sort of gaining this glimpse into what will one day be. This small cup of wine will one day turn into the cup of victory and salvation as we celebrate in the new heavens and the new earth. The, the, The final victory over the greatest enemies, again, greater than Pharaoh, greater than human oppression, greater than human slavery, but the devil, all of his lies, all of his accusations, All of his servants, all of his effects, death, demons, hell, all of it dealt with because of the broken body and shed blood. And here is the guarantee of ultimate celebration because of the final and ultimate victory of the cross. And this is what John 
gets when he looks into heaven in Revelation. He says, then I looked. And I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands and thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshipped. As we take communion, we find our faces in that countless number. And Jesus says there's a day coming when we will actually join in with that heavenly gathering as we look to the Lamb that was slain, as we say to Him who loved us and washed us with His blood and secured for us a greater exodus, a a greater covenant, a new start, and this blessed new future. So let let me challenge you today. When you take the bread and have the wine, don't stop at the reminder of your sin. But follow that the whole way to the victory that was secured at the cross. And just as I wrap it up now, let me, let me say to you today, if there, if there are any, anyone here that maybe stands on the outside of, of this amazing blessing that's secured for us because of the cross, there can be a celebration for you today. That it doesn't take 10 years to work off a debt. That it's nothing that you can muster up in yourself. That it's nothing that you need to worry that you may or may not have merited or earned or deserved. But it's a free gift that is offered to each one of you today. And upon accepting it, freely you gain every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. It's all free. You get what you don't deserve. Would you join us, those of us who have believed, those of us who have tasted and seen that this Lord is good, that He really is who He says He is. And put your faith today in the broken body and the shed blood that was given for you. Before um, I hand back to Dave, I'd, I'd love to pray for us. Um, thanks so much for, for listening today. and It's been such a privilege for me. Father, we are just a grateful people uh, when we think about what we have in Christ, that everything was given and nothing was offered from us. That, Father, we we didn't give something for you to then repay us. But, Father, the the currency of, of heaven, grace, was given because of your love for each one of us. And we thank you that if we want to see that love, all we need do is look to the bread that was broken and the wine that was poured out at Calvary for men and women like us. Jesus loved us and gave himself for us. And we pray now, Father, as we partake, as we have this 
new covenant meal, this Lord's Supper, that on the one side we'd be conscious of our, our need for a Savior, but on the other we would celebrate the fact that a Savior's been given, who is Christ the Lord. And we pray in his name. Amen. Amen. What Hugh has done that is so helpful is he's taken a part of Scripture and he's unpacked the bigger picture of what is going on behind it. Um, and when somebody does that, I don't want us to move on too quickly and just rush away from it. So what we're going to do is something slightly different today. I'm going to give you a minute just to close your eyes, just to think. And I just want you to think, what, what's hit me today? What am I taking away from what Hugh said And then after that minute, I just want you to turn in twos and threes and just say to the person next to you, I think this is what I'm taking away today. Uh, And then we'll we'll come up together, we'll share communion together. But I just want to take this moment to give you an opportunity to reflect and then just to quickly share. So if you just take a moment of reflection, I'll let you know when it's time to turn to your neighbour. 